All right, welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. And after the show, you'll be able to download the podcast uh, on iTunes if you're a subscriber. Uh, but you'll also be able to get the archive of the show immediately afterwards at 21stCenturyWire.com. So take a look at that. We did start early uh, this week. Uh, because of our scheduling. Uh, but so it's a special, uh, early start this week. So if you've just joined us or you're joining us, uh, in the next uh, half hour, we'll uh, give another shout out to everybody. Uh, so thank you very much for your patience. Now, our next guest, uh, is a host of a very successful and long running, uh, television program broadcast internationally on RT. The program is called Crosstalk. Uh, many of our listeners and readers will be familiar with this show. Uh, we've also been on that show as a guest uh, on many occasions. And his name is Peter Lavelle. He's joining us uh, from Moscow on the live link right now. Hello, Peter. How are you? Well, I'm fantastic. It's great to be uh, with you. And congratulations for making it on the list. Yeah, oh, another list. Yeah, another list. I know. Yes, yeah. The, Joe McCarthy's walking around with his briefcase through the halls of Congress. Right. Okay. Well, that, that that's interesting. You brought that up, Peter. And um, you know, before we start, I just wanted to um, you know give people a chance uh, to get to know you a little better. They see you on television, uh, being basically like a world. A boxing referee i would say it's the closest thing to being a boxing referee sometimes on your program uh managing uh, two or three people shouting across that's why they <laughs> call it crosstalk but um beyond that what tell us a little bit about your background in your areas of study because i know that you have studied international relations and right. uh, you've been in the university of california system um as well and so you've got a unique uh background there to be able to comment, especially on all things American. But uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, I really just, all, all I ever wanted to be was a, a historian um, uh, and uh, uh, European history, and I specialized in Eastern European history, particularly Poland. I lived there for over 10 years. And um, essentially, when I finished all my doctoral work, um, there just weren't any jobs. or not, There weren't any jobs that I wanted. I really didn't want to go to uh, Montana or Idaho or something like that. And I didn't want to teach a community college either. I, wor I worked very hard on my degree. I, was, I had a, a two-year Fulbright uh, to Poland, and I was very proud of that. And um, so when I left academia, I decided to go move back to Poland from California because I never liked California very much and um, because I could speak Polish. Um, I got my first real job at the ripe old age of 30, and... Um, I worked for Colgate-Palmolive for a while, and then I went into uh, finance. Um, I was an equity analyst, and, um, uh, and then I went into journalism and then television. And, you know, there were many um, uh, points in my life that I felt that I had lost a lot of time. I had wasted time. Um, I should have got into the workforce earlier uh, because when I was in finance, I, they're not very smart, okay? Uh, they're corrupt, uh, and they're very clever at their corruption, but they're not very smart, and uh, I learned a lot from Colgate Palmolive about consumers, uh, about uh, how public opinion polls are written, how you test people. What I'm getting to is that everything I did in my life before television helped me do what I do now. Um, you know, finance, consumerism, history, politics, international relations. So um, I finally just got a venue uh, to be able to kind of use my uh, uh, 
um, my background, my uh, my entire life story. I even have the uh, about eighteen hundred books I read in uh, in graduate school. I brought them all the way here to Moscow. So wow. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to I, I'm recently I'm going to be moving to a new apartment and I'm going to finally have my own personal library. It's taken a long time. It's taken a long time for me to achieve these things, but I seem to do them eventually. That's interesting that you know, you talk about your business experience because you know a big thing in academia is there are a lot of people who've studied but they say they haven't worked in the commercial sector and it gives you a kind of a sense of reality, a little bit of grounding in reality when we're talking about international events, politics, sanctions, conflict. Uh, it, it really comes down to economics and business at the end of the day. So that's um, I think that's a good thing to draw on uh, in your field. And that's what I do all of the time, and I'm really happy that I have that experience because um, so much of what I read in the mainstream, uh, um, I'll just say they don't have a clue of what they're talking about most of the time. It, it's it's just it, it's mind boggling for me. Um, uh, I, I, I was looking at the Independent uh, this morning, and uh, um, it was an article about corruption in Ukraine. At least they're admitting there's corruption in Ukraine finally, and they said ousted dictator Yanukovych. Well, no, he, he was democratically elected and he was illegally removed from po- power with the help of the United States and the European Union. These are facts. Uh, but you, you can see what I'm getting at. You know, I mean, what business is a person writing about Ukraine if they don't have the basic facts? And the grounding that I have in, in, in you know, doing forensic work, you know, going into the archives, not assuming the arguments that I've read um, in books that are, uh, the, uh, on topics that I'm working on, uh, listening to people that uh, pontificate. No, I went into the archives and I did my own work. I came to my own conclusions. And that's what I do every single morning when I wake up and I have my oatmeal breakfast. Um, <laughs> I go through, you know, I always tell, and I think this is something uh, your listeners should know, is that I don't necessarily go to websites per se. I go to people I trust. And that's how I go I go through everybody that I, has written something that I trust recently, and I read it up, okay? And, I, and that's a way of doing it. There, your site is wonderful. I, I really enjoy going there. Um, and there's a, a lot of other people in the alternative universe that is really worth uh, looking at. Though, if we can talk briefly about that ridiculous list, on that list there are some dodgy people. Yes, there are. They, there is fake news out there on our side, but the mainstream is almost primarily fake news. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you br- you bring up this list, okay? So they've launched the new BS detector. I'm sure you've seen this on Google Chrome. This is being populated uh, all over the place on all the stores and app stores and also being promoted heavily by the mainstream media. I played the Fox News uh, segment uh, before the break about this new uh, Google plugin, but it's for Safari, Mozilla, it's across all browsers. And uh, it's a giant monster database uh, which derives mainly from it's copied from Dr. Melissa Zimdar's oh, fake I- news list and prop or not's anti-Russian list. It's a synthesis of both of those things. So, so Peter, I see a level of coordination, be it intentional or not. I can't prove it, but um, so this is kind of this book-burning list that just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. But the thing that disturbs me, Peter, and I want you to talk comment on this, is that the person who got the ball rolling was from academia. And you've been through the University of California system. I, as well, have been educated through the California system from high school right through university at Cal Poly. And it is a very liberal uh, establishment. That is the the prevailing mindset is very politically correct, uh, so-called progressive. And 
and I think this is somehow there, this enclave in American intellectual uh, life is making a play here uh, for censorship or for social engineering. I don't really know how to describe it, but, you know, how are you looking at this? It, it's, it's very interesting. If you look at, um, you know, right wing politics in, 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 the, in the 30s in Europe uh, produced fascism, extreme left uh, politics uh, produced uh, communism in the Soviet Union. And, and now we have this extreme progressives um, and they're creating a form of fascism now uh, in the United States. This, um, I, I love living in Russia because there's no political correctness. Uh, you say what you think. All right. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to filter myself here. But when I was in academia, and that was a long time ago, it was like uh, more than I was like 20 years ago. Um, the filter was always around. The, the, the gender police were always around. Uh, I, you know, and and it, for me, it was just so stifling. You couldn't have a conversation with people. And that was 20 years ago. And I follow it, uh, what's going on in the U.S., what's happening in, in Europe. It, I mean, this is just a form of suicide, in, in my opinion here. Um, and what, I, what I'm saying is that a form of fascism is that there is only one narrative. I mean, isn't academia about conflicting narratives and, and, and to respect other people's narratives to try to get to some kind of what we would call the truth? No, they have already established what the truth is. And, and they want to shut out all other conversation. It's extremely frightening what's going on right now. And, um, and it's not, it doesn't produce a healthy society. I think the voters in the United States, you know, they're, they, they're, there's a rejection of that. I mean, Brexit is a rejection of this uh, postmodernist um, uh, agenda. And, uh, and I hope it continues. I'm for the insurrection. And, and, and you know, if people talk to me long enough, my politics are very complicated. It's not as straightforward as people think. Uh, on economics and finance, I have one view. On culture, I have another view. And I, what I think is that we're coming to a new synthesis in politics. The left-right is over. That paradigm is over. It's been over for about a quarter of a century. We just don't know it yet, okay? And we have to come to a new synthesis about politics and, and what we think is the social good because the, the path that these, these, where it comes from academia I, I'm afraid it's just a dead end. I mean, this is it's 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 completely divorced from reality right now. And and we unfortunately we have a media in the United States that is locked in lockstep with the 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 elites, the financial and economic elites, and you know and throw in the nonsense that Hollywood shoves down our throat all the time. We we really have this um, uh, uh, block of uh, elements uh, uh, of power. Um, that are dictating this, and, and it has nothing to do with democracy. As a matter of fact, they're completely against democracy. Democracy scares them. It's scary in the European Union. How many times do they have a referendum in the European Union? They just keep having a vote until the people vote the right way. You scare them to death. You know, scaremongering is their tactics. It's not logic. It's not discourse. It's it's not uh, debate anymore. Um, and, and they go to these really ridiculous uh, tactics uh, that um, do, do, do not allow a, a thinking process. And um, I, I would never go back to academia. I, I couldn't be I wouldn't be accepted anyway. OK, um, but uh, this is it's a very dangerous path that we're going down. And I think the election in the United States is a revolt against this year. It doesn't mean I'm putting all of my hopes in the Donald Trump. I am not. OK, I am in a wait and see paradigm right now i'm going to give the guy a chance but his some of his uh, uh, cabinet uh, um, suggestions uh, have me a little worried 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's we got a we got an interesting uh, story up at Twenty First Century Wire. Really looking at the uh, the the Goldman Sachs uh, crew and sort of the Wall Street contingency that's being uh, represented in there. And you could say the same about David Petraeus, who himself is a uh, ironically is a proponent, uh, a salesman for the North American Union concept. And here we have Donald Trump wanting to do away with NAFTA, saying it was the worst uh, trade deal in history, and the T uh, the Trans Pacific Partnership. So. We have Petraeus and globalists, basically. It's the same guy that said that we, he said it publicly, extraordinarily publicly, that the the West should align itself with Al-Qaeda against Assad. I mean, mean, how much more more absurd uh, do you you want to get, okay? I mean, and this tells us really what their real agenda is, okay, is this globalist agenda that you just mentioned here. Um, the, the thing is, it's really interesting about this globalist agenda, is that they do not brook any opposition whatsoever. If you oppose, you resist, you are an enemy, and you are to be demonized, you're the next Hitler, and you are to be destroyed. And, and, and this is, it, it hit a brick wall in Aleppo. Okay, thank goodness. Okay, and I'm having a great time watching all of the proponents of war at the uh, Washington Post and the New York Times. They're squirming. They're squirming. You know, and it's going to be who whose fault is it? Well, of course, it's the Russians fault always first. They always get the first shot at it. But then it's because Obama didn't do enough. The U.S. didn't do enough in Syria. That's that again. That boggles the mind that they didn't do enough in Syria. They destroyed the place. And they're still resisting those people. God love those people. It, it, it's amazing that, that you know, it, it took the, uh, Syria, you know, the, the guy Assad must go for, what, six years now. And you know what? Look at every leader that's going before he goes. It's quite amazing. And, I, and they're flabbergasted in the mainstream and in the, in the, the uh, halls of power in Washington and, 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 and in Europe. Uh, for me, this is just a, a poetic justice watching this happen. Well, these three events you've mentioned, I think all three of them, the three that I wanted to bring up, these are sort of like uh, lifting of the veil type events, Brexit uh, being one of them, huge media hype, oh my God, the jobs are going to flee, the stock market will crash, the FTSE is going to crumble, Britain's going to sink in the world in terms of its uh, reputation, blah, blah, blah. We can't possibly go Brexit, it'll be a disaster, and of course, much of the opposite has happened uh, since the vote. And so that was a real bellwether, okay, and that was a real apocalypse moment. And so that that was an event that basically exposed a lot of the facade um, and that's been propped up by a lot of propaganda, quite frankly. Um, but Trump as well, the Hillary Clinton will live, win by a landslide. It's going to be a disaster for the Republican Party. Oh, my gosh, all the down ballots seats are going to get uh, wiped out. Trump is a disaster. It'll never happen. Hillary's going to win by uh, 90 percent odds or whatever. And, yeah, then, yeah. and then that happens. And now Aleppo. Aleppo, to me, is such a powerful historic event because they have been telling lies for the last five or six years continuously putting fake footage up on i can say that because we've proven that some of the footage is staged uh circulated through mainstream media okay misrepresenting what's happening in syria uh on the ground and now they don't know what to do peter everybody's they're backpedaling like crazy now it's extraordinary even now now, you know uh assad uh, um will conquer uh, the rest of aleppo no he's going to liberate it these people have been waiting 
They've been waiting to be liberated. I mean, I have seen the footage. I cannot verify it, but I've seen uh, footage where they're running to the Syrian army troops. I mean, and they're wailing, their tears running down their face after so many years of misery. And, you know, you just have to see that. To, un- to understand how the narrative has been so upside down, particularly on Syria. And, you know, where I work, RT, we really worked our butts off to get the other side out. And I know that you've, you've had Vanessa on and, and others, you know, to, 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 uh, to challenge and demolish that narrative that the West is uh, uh, pushing. And I really re- uh, respect you and your side for that because you, you've really done a good service in that area and really good stuff. But well, we, we, we've been lucky because, you know, um, you've what uh, Mura Gazniaf, um, his reporting in those early days, the last couple of months, when you first got your crew into West Aleppo to do some real investigations, he gave us a, a lot of backing. He validated some of the things about the real serious civil defense that people were accusing us of uh, making it up or it not being true or being Assad propaganda. And so RT's on the ground reporting. I have to say this, Peter, and I know I'll get attacked for saying this, but RT is basically being what the BBC was for many years, okay, and maybe is not so much anymore. Um, yes. RT is, is going and doing real work, and its yeah. its uh, attention to detail is is really admirable. I really appreciate that, and you know, I, I've been. You, you, uh, um, I'm sure you know that uh, there was a, a congressional resolution against uh, "quote unquote" Russia propaganda. Oh yeah. Um, and and you know what? I was reflecting upon um, uh, after I read that, um, which I don't know what it means. Okay, it's open to interpretation. What they it, it's it, they, it, meaning, and there's an option to censorship. That's what they're saying. Okay, without using the word. But, you know, I, I look at all of these criticisms of, uh, of RT and my program, and they never give one example to back up their claims. It's just propaganda. Okay, well, can, give me, you know, a situation which I said something that could be interpreted as propaganda. Who were the guests? What were the topics? You send me the episode. Give me the YouTube link. I'll take a look at it. No one ever <laughs> once, ever once has said it. Do I have an attitude? Well, yeah, I do. That's why I do it, okay? That's why people watch the program. But, you know, I'm, I'm never given one concrete example at all. And, oh, Ofcom in the UK said one of your guests said the NATO meeting was held in a presidential palace, but according to, uh, to Wikipedia, it was held in a stadium. <laughs> and I will say, well, I, it was a guest on my program. Am I responsible for what my guest says? I mean, I can't, I can't uh, fact check him as he's saying it. That's we're recording it. And they, and they said, well, and then they couldn't finish their sentence. And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is where it was held. You're holding me accountable for, for what my guests had to say, who is not an employee of RT? Really? Yeah, that's just standard. I mean, you, any show, the station doesn't take responsibility for what the guests say, even the host in some cases. Um, the views don't. We, we put that disclaimer at the beginning of the show just because we have to. But uh, so, well, I mean, yeah. well, we, I'll give you another example. We, we, we would do a program on Palestine and, and we'd have a guest that say that Israel's never committed a war crime. Uh, or, or committed any form of ethnic cleansing uh, against the Palestinians. Well, I mean, flags go up all over the place. I get I get attacked for not attacking the person that says that even more. Um, and you know, but there's no one uh, policing that, are they? In in Western media, no one polices that. Um, but pe- they're policing things that are they're they're chasing phantoms. That's what they've gotten down to. 
breed love. He, he was going on YouTube and Twitter looking for evidence of Russian ag- aggression. Here's the man that's the head of NATO. I mean, with vast resources at his disposal, and he has to go to Twitter, and he has to talk to academics in the United States, give me some dirt, I need something to work with to, to get Obama to go to war with, with, uh, with Russia because of Ukraine. I mean, this is all documented. This is, it, it shows the levels of insanity and to what degree these people will go to push their agenda. They don't have any real cannon fodder. They have to make it up. And if they can't, if they can't uh, uh, get uh, traction out of that, they just call us propagandists, Okay. It's just the next level of this info war. Well, I'll do one better. Okay, I was contacted by maybe the second biggest uh, uh, U.S. broadcast investigative news program after 60 Minutes, uh, NBC Dateline. uh, And they wanted to lure me into what I thought was a hit piece. So they asked me, um, your website has been identified as a a source of unconfirmed reports. We want to talk to you. Uh, We want to have a little chat. You know, are you, are you free? And I saw I saw I was being, I was being set up straight straight away. So I I didn't uh, I, I sent him a very nice letter and I told my listeners last week about this. Um, but they didn't give me any specifics, Peter. Uh, which articles are fake or which? Because as soon as they get you get into specifics, they're going to have to defend their point of view or their accusation, and it's not so easy because everything we do has a reference to secondary and primary sources. Every single thing, except for op-ed pieces. So, it's just like when I was on with Chris Cuomo a, a couple summers ago. I mean, <laughs> I used his face to mop the floor. I mean, he 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 didn't. He expected somebody that would just parrot. Um, uh, uh, um, well, talking points like he does, okay? But I don't do that. I don't have any talking points. I listen to what is uh, said to me, and I react to it using my thought process. You know, he is really one of the most deplorable journalists on television. I watch it. Don't you read the WikiLeaks. That oh. is in mail, but I will explain it to you because I'm a journalist. Did you see that? He made a complete buffoon out of himself. Well, the, the danger there, the danger there, Peter, is that on WikiLeaks, is CNN is being implicated for colluding with the uh, the DNC, and then you have a CNN mainline host telling people not to read those emails. That's a huge, I mean, talk about um, you know overt corruption of media. I mean, that's as bad as it gets. You know, it's 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 one of the amazing things is that um, uh, there was a cult of personality during the Soviet period of Stalin, and it was very real, and it was very very powerful. And people in the West criticized this cult of personality, and um, uh, and then Stalin died, and then there was a um, um, an assessment of that cult of personality, and it's still being assessed to this day. But you know what? There's a cult of personality in the United States. It's called the New York Times. And everyone genuflects to the New York Times. Everyone believes it is as if it's gospel. That is a cult of personality right there. And that is very dangerous for a free media because that is one of the most deplorable publications, news outlets out there right now. And I focus, I, I, I don't know, I don't read every single article there, but I, of course, I'm very careful what they say about Russia, Ukraine, NATO, security, and Syria. And, you know, I, I just find it appalling, but it is taken as the gospel. So, you know, when people look down upon a society that has a cult of personality, they should take a mirror and look at themselves. They have their own cult of personality, and, it's, and no one criticizes it. We do, but we're pushed to the side all of the time. And I, I, I worry that we're going to be, continue to be pushed to the side. 
I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that our, our listeners and our viewers are going to uh, stand up like they did with Brexit, like they did with, with Trump, and like they're going to do in the European elections this year. The, the, actually, Italy is going on right now. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, the uh, legislation, by the way, that you mentioned before, uh, this is to counteract Russian covert influence. Uh, and this is a, is a house, uh, a house resolution. I think this, this, whether this gets through, um, House and Senate, um, properly, uh, we'll see. It could determine, you know, uh, it, what the Trump cabinet or the heads of agencies appointed Trump appointees, um, you know who they are if it dies in committee or it sits there without funding but the problem the problem here is i read the language of this and i saw the usual suspects uh pushing this around like ed royce uh and so on both parties republican and democrat are are basically cheerleading this and i see the language they're talking about russia hacking the elections now that there is never any evidence presented for this other than innuendo and hyperbole. That and so this was kind of a scapegoat talking point, which actually is in some of the Podesta emails. Uh, you can see there's a st- sort of a strategy at play. Um, mm-hmm. So yet this is the foundation point of a of, of a bill to counteract uh, covert uh, Russian influence. I'm thinking, what about covert mainstream U.S. media influence in brainwashing the public? Um, it's so this is so wrong. This is on so many levels, Peter. Yeah, the, the thing is, is that what we have is it, 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 I think anyone that wants to understand how journalism works or, or doesn't work, it, the, the, the 2016 presidential election will be a, a case study that we can look at for endlessly, um, because. What has happened and is still happening right now is that they can't admit their own bias. They can't admit that they're in bed with the powers that be. They can't admit that there's collusion going on. We have all we have all of the evidence. We have now, WikiLeaks is you know as much as some people hate them, they've never been proven to be fraudulent. Never once, not one example of the stuff that they have released is fraudulent. It's real, and they they want to pretend it's not there. And they want to pretend that they're a victim of something. I didn't know the U.S. Um, electoral system was so weak, Patrick. Wow. It must be like Gambia or something, right? I mean, give me a break. But American democracy is very weak. And it doesn't have to be hacked by a foreign power. It has already been so corrupted by the Clintons and others They've, they've corrupted Demo- the Democratic Party. They corrupted the electoral system. They corrupted everything that they touched. And I hope they don't touch any more. And I am one of the, the people that I want a new attorney general. I want a new investigation of this. I want a special prosecutor. Donald Trump should keep as far away from it as possible. Let the special prosecutor do what that person needs to do. And let's see what happens. Well, I am sick and tired of seeing these elites get away with things when all the rest of us are, are punished when we break the law. And, and so the same ha- has to happen to the media. The media has to be forced to look at itself in the mirror. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, on, on Fox, um, uh, Tucker Carlson had a, uh, a chat with the, um, what is it, the, uh, at the New York Times. She's the uh, public affairs editor. I suggest you, uh, our listeners uh, have a look at that. She caved. She completely caved. And, and, and he gave compelling arguments why they failed. And she had nothing really to say other than, I think you're being a bit 
harsh or a bit rough. But essentially, she was agreeing that we have a media that is not fulfilling its obligations to the public. Why, that is why we have WikiLeaks. That's why we have you. That's why we have me, because this, the media has failed in its mission. And more and more people are figuring that out. Well, let, let me let me play a clip right now. This is just like hot off the press from this morning. Uh, Chuck Todd, um, one of my f- uh, favorite uh, people to malign lately. But uh, yeah. so he had he had Mike Pence on, uh, Vice President Elect, and they're talking about the carrier deal. So Donald Trump had uh, organized uh, a meeting with the uh, CEO or the board of Carrier Air Conditioning in East uh, in Indiana. And in order to keep the jobs from moving to Mexico, uh, apparently is is was successful. And so the media has just been attacking Trump and attacking him for uh, government uh, involvement in the economy, government interfering in the economy. I'm scratching my head and say, what was General Motors then? You know, or the bailout of 2008? Yeah, bailout all about? Yeah. Yeah. So listen to this. This is Chuck Todd. So the media, Peter, are now going. They're they're pushing back on this. They've been taking a beating because uh, of their horrible performance, and now they're, they're trying to push back, but it's it's not working very well. Listen to this clip. Questions on Carrier. Um, why isn't this pay-to-play politics? You gave a tax break. Some people could say you gave a tax break to Carrier so that they would only send 700 jobs overseas. Sarah Palin called it crony capitalism. Why isn't it? <laughs> Look, we, uh, we were heartbroken back in February. Uh, when Carrier announced that they were pulling up stakes and taking all of their jobs south of the border uh, to Mexico, closing factories in a couple locations in Indiana. Uh, I asked them at that time whether or not the state of Indiana could offer uh, any incentives that are very routine in the competition for jobs in the country, and they said, don't bother. Uh, We wouldn't want to look at incentives. Make no mistake about it, the only reason Carrier is staying in the United States is because Donald Trump was elected president of the United States and the leadership at United Technologies and Carrier. This is government intervening in the private sector. What happened here? Why is this not government intervening in the private sector? Well, first off, let's remember now more than a a thousand Hoosiers have certainty in their jobs and in their futures going into this Christmas season because of the leadership of Donald Trump. 700 don't. And I, I couldn't be more grateful for that. And the people of Indiana couldn't be more grateful for that. Well, look, I, I know the glass is half empty tendency of many in the media. Well, but it's not about the what media, you saw sir. Here, what you saw happen you, here. The media, hitting the media is always a crutch for you guys. It's, a, it's not about the it's media. Not a, it's not there a crutch. Seven, there is seven. Yeah, yeah, what do Chuck, you say to that? Chuck, here, here's the bottom line. I was in the room when you made the you, you, you get the picture, Peter. Yes. Yeah, so now he's saying hitting the media is a crutch for you guys. Okay, so, the, you know, but, you know, but you know, you pay to play. Let, let's let's stay with that. Okay, pay to play is something that is done behind closed doors in the shadows. Okay, that that's a pay for play. Okay, you know, a, a government governments do it all the time all around the world. Giving uh, and sometimes I think they they, they uh, uh, lowering the taxes or not giving a tax holiday is too much. Uh, too, uh, I mean, look at uh, what Starbucks never paid taxes in the UK for a number of years. Okay, mm-hmm. that's criminal in my mind. Uh, and maybe there was a pay-to-play issue there. I don't know. But to use that term is is incorrect in that context. And we so you know the banks. I mean, the, the banks that got us in all this trouble in 2008, you know, they got a lot of, a lot of help, too, okay? Is that government <laughs> interference? I mean, I was against the bailout because there's more than enough money on Wall Street for them to bail themselves out, okay? Mm-hmm. But it didn't happen that way. But to use that kind of language is, is, is absolutely abhorrent. And 
I, I believe, uh, well, we said earlier in this interview, you know, my politics is all very complicated. I do believe that the government should get involved in stimulating the economy. I do believe they have to work with the private sector. I, I, we have to find out what the private sector needs and what the government can do. There's nothing wrong with that. That's being rational. Instead of squeezing the, the middle class to the very bones, um, you know, I want to see the middle class thrive. And if it means that having the government helping businesses, so be it. What's the problem? You, you know, you know that this conversation is, um, you know, completely backwards when you have one side uh, of the, the mainstream press and many Democrats. I'm not picking political sides here. I'm just commenting on what I've observed. They're now attacking a, a president for wanting to keep jobs in America. I mean, <laughs> I don't know really what to, you know, where can where can they go after this if they keep this line of attack? Have you ever heard? I mean, and I, I, I'm I'm older than you are here. I've never heard in my lifetime that a president-elect, he's not even in office yet, and people are, you know, he's already making the deals that he said he was going to do. I mean, he's already starting to create jobs. That's what he ran on. He actually ran on a real economic platform, unlike Hillary. He really did. And you hear this all the time that he, he, all he did was attack Hillary. No, Hillary only attacked Donald on the whole campaign. And it was a losing proposition. So, I mean, this is the, the media is not going to uh, give uh, any um, uh, uh, room uh, to Donald Trump. And you know what? That's fine. And maybe it's just, just fine. Because what Trump is going to do is what Franklin Delano Roosevelt, which I think was a great president, um, in a time of crisis. Now, he didn't solve the depression he didn't okay but he gave people hope he gave people a reason to get up in the morning Mm -hmm. and i think donald trump is just going to go to social media he's going to say screw you at the new york times but we don't i don't i'm not i don't need your filter i don't need your stamp of approval i'm going to go straight to the american people like i did during the election and it will be effective and the people with that strategy you will the, the the public will see the different narratives, the different narratives. Because when you watch uh, um, uh, CNN, for example, which is just awful to watch, uh, or ABC with George Stephanopoulos, um, I, 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 I he was uh, I think he was was he talking to, he was he was talking to um, a Republican. Why doesn't Trump apologize uh, for his um, uh, uh, racist language, his sexist language? Why can't he just come out and apologize and <laughs> I, I, and it's, it's a wonderful YouTube clip, I think, with a Duran is carrying it right now. And, um, uh, um, and, and another one, it, George, uh, it was um, uh, Wolf Blitzer, you know, asking the same question eight times. You know, why doesn't Trump do this? Why doesn't he do that? Um, and it, the answer is he's not even president yet. Well, how can he make be making decisions right? I mean, they're not going to give him any room at all. But I think if he goes directly to the public, and I, I want to tell you, to tell your listeners here, is that I, I am not a die in the wool uh, Trump fan. Okay, I have my criticisms. Okay, uh, and I've already expressed some of those criticisms with the the his cabinet coming together. Um, but what I'm saying is, is that the American people made a decision. Why don't we go along with it? At least for a while to get, get let the man at least get started, and then then you know we can have reasonable, critical conversation about what's happening and what's not happening. But this you know shooting uh, the horse right out uh, onto the track there. That, that, this shows the, the meanness and vindictiveness and the lack of professionalism of the of the of the Western mainstream media. Yeah. So 
you know, what is what this is all about in terms of, you know, keeping jobs in America. And, you know, it's really um, it's it's taking another look at the whole idea of globalization that has been the sort of the dominant paradigm for many, many decades. And it's it's the work of the Trilateral Commission. It's their life's work. You know, Henry Kissinger and yeah. uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski and many of these people and and the Bilderberg Group. And so Trump has basically come out. I want to get your thoughts on this. He's come out against the Trans-Pacific Partnership saying it's a horrible trade deal. It's going to be a disaster for America. He's dumped NAFTA completely. But then he hasn't mentioned anything about TTIP. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to make a prediction here. Trump's mother is Scottish. A lot of people don't realize this. So technically, he could be a dual citizen, British-American. That's very unusual, by the way, for a U.S. Uh, president as well. And so he's already been invited by the Queen. He he's, has a soft spot, definitely, for Britain. He's got business interests there. Uh, not a word about TTIP. And would, why, might we see that uh, the TPP is the whipping boy, uh, but uh, TTIP looks like that's a very much a British-American deal on many but levels. TTIP is already dead in the water, so I don't think he would really comment very much on it because it's really okay. hit a lot of brick walls in Europe already. I mean, Merkel has already come out and just said, basically, you know, it's not going to go anywhere, uh, at least for the time being. Um, you know, it, 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 because these are not all done deals, I mean, Trump can come in and, and, and change them all around or start from scratch. Um, but I, I, I really hope he does that because... These things, all of these trade agreements are have been mined um, global co- co- uh, uh, companies. I mean, it's, it's not it's not about trade. It's about the bottom line for a very small uh, number of companies. I mean, they're writing these these uh, uh, trade agreements. They're writing them. It's not it's not coming out of, of, of politicians. Mm-hmm. They're writing this legislation here and. If, if uh, you know, Trump is going to make or break his his first four years in office on job generation, I think that's fair to say. Okay, I mean this is something that he you know he doesn't talk about building the wall anymore. He doesn't talk uh, 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 about uh, pers- uh, prosecuting Hillary. He, he he's not talking about a lot of things that he did talk about during the campaign. But he stayed with jobs, and I think these trade agreements. He is, and, and look, I mean, I'll give him this. He has international businesses. He knows how these regulations affect a business. So I think we're in good hands in that respect, okay? Well, it, it, um, it's, reasonable, it's reasonable to uh, expect from him that he will understand this. Will he understand the nuances of Ukraine and Syria? I have my doubts. But about trade deals, I think he probably does. No, absolutely. Absolutely. If you're just joining us now at the top of the hour, uh, you've reached the Sunday wire. We had an early start this week uh, for for the event that we're attending this weekend. Uh, But uh, I'm here with our guest, uh, Peter Lavelle, host of Crosstalk, RT's Crosstalk. And uh, and Peter, so when you started this program, Crosstalk has been on the air a very long time uh, in terms of television. Um, and RT is a very young network. Um, what was it like when you first started this program? When you they came up, or they contacted you, or the the well, idea came up? Did you ha- did you realize it was going to be running this long? No, no. Um, wh- when I first started there, I started there uh, uh, a few days after they started broadcasting in December two thousand five, and uh, I was the uh, uh, what would they? Uh, we had a British guy working for us. I was the uh, presenter's friend, so I was on. 
uh, on set all, all during the day commenting. And uh, I really liked it. But I, I said, you know, it's going to get pretty old and it's, it looks like I'm the only guy you can get to talk. So I, I really can't be doing this every day, uh, hour after hour, which I love doing it. Um, uh, there was the uh, uh, gas crisis with Ukraine. There was the Limpinenko case. Uh, there was a Politovskaya case. And, you know, there was a lot. They needed people, someone to explain to uh, Western audiences who these people were and why all the nonsense that the Western media is saying is, you know, why they're saying it and what the, our counter-argument from RT would be. So I really enjoyed that. It was really good for me to spar because um, I would call out people. And, but then I said, you know, I really want to have my own program. And I had a program called In My Humble Opinion. And it was once a week for 13 minutes. And I really liked doing that until I got tired of hearing my own voice. And then I had another program called In Context, which was another, um, okay, for everyone else, it's 15 minutes. But in television time, it's 13 minutes. And I would do um, special reports. Um, uh, like um, who is Berezovsky? Um, uh, uh, um, uh, I did a Limpinenko case. I, I, I did uh, Georgia was really big then. Uh, and then um, I, I said I really want to have a debate program. And uh, they had a few ideas for it, which I did not like at all. And I stonewalled it, and until I got what I wanted, and then I did. And I think, yeah, next week we'll have the one thousandth edition of Crosstalk. One wow, thousand. Congratulations. Edition. You, you yeah. and Max Kaiser as well. Max had his uh, thousandth episode this week. Yeah, but Max and and and, and Stacy don't take a vacation because I, I have a team. I have to take a vacation. So I, um, but I'm I, I'm very uh, I'm very proud of uh, of Max and his wife, and and I'm very proud of all the people that have worked for Crosstalk over the years. And um, I hope for another thousand episodes. I'm not going anywhere. And also, you've uh, launched a project this year, which uh, has been very successful so far. Uh, the Duran. Uh, yep. the duran.com it's a it's a website i uh i commend you and uh alexander mercurius and uh alex and your the rest of your team uh for basically creating uh, a website it's got all it's got some style to it how did the name come about peter um aside <laughs> from the content we'll talk about that but how did you come up with this name what does it mean well, we have um, uh, two Greeks uh, uh, in our team, and um, it's a Greek word that means perfection. And um, when they passed it by me, I said, Duran, Duran, like the band, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, I pa- and I went to, uh, went to work, I went to my crosstalk team, and I said, uh, what does the Duran mean to you? And they said, you mean Duran, Duran. So it was universal. And so I went back to the uh, Alex and, uh, and, uh, and Alex, the two Alexes. And uh, I gave them my findings, and I said, "We we really need to find something else." And they uh, they said, "No, we're going to stay with it." And then um, uh, Vlad um, Rozenko, the other partner, he said, "We will give Duran a new meaning." And I thought that was just really smart. That was smart. I was just you know when Steve Jobs called a computer an apple, a lot of people said, "What? It's not an apple." But now when you say an Apple computer, it's one of the most universal um, uh, trademarks in the world. Okay, so that's what they're going to do. Um, the guys are great. We, you know, we, we've, we've reposted some of your stuff. Um, it, for me, it's, a, it's, a, it's something I can give a personal touch to, and I like to write, and I like to encourage people to come and write for us. And uh, we're going to be more multimedia. Um, it, it's, it's, it's something, it's a real joy because I really enjoy working with the guys and we're like-minded. Well, I had no idea what everyone's politics were when we started this. You know, and I, then we began to realize, oh, my goodness, we're, we're pretty uniform um, and, uh, and feel very, very strongly 
Um, we, we're basically we're, we're very conservative culturally. We're cultural conservatives, and um, we, we can differ on the economy sometimes. Um, but uh, we have, you know, Alexander McCurris is a lawyer by training, and he and you, when you read his stuff, you can tell here's a man that has an eye for detail, and he's a great writer, and he's a wonderful human being. And then Alex Christopher is a real media guy. He has really savvy about picking up uh, videos and explaining it or mocking it. Um, I do a lot of commentary, and Vlad Rizenko, our other partner, he's the guy that kind of is the nuts and bolts, keeps the thing running. So um, it's a really wonderful team. I, I always joke that we're the Beatles. You know, we have you know the heart, uh, what was it, the heart, the mind, the soul, and um, uh, and the spirit. You know, I mean, we we have all of the all of the combinations that we need to make it really work, and we're we're going. It's going very very well. It's only seven months old, and and we and the Duran made the list. <laughs> Yeah, you made the list. Yeah, the great list. So it's got style, which is great. I like uh, the the brand. It's nice to see something different um, because, you know, some of the websites, uh, news websites can be a little bit uh, tired and cold. But uh, so you brought in some some style uh, to a, a marketplace of ideas. I think that's a really important thing that's needed now uh, to break up the monotony, especially in this kind of geopolitical conversation that you you uh, you guys deal with uh, primarily. Um, it's nice uh, that you've injected a little bit of style and personal touch. I think that's really important. We're all we're very very conscious of that, and we're, we're we're very conscious of our branding. And I I like to be smart but brash, and um and I and I think it's working. But we're we're very very we we talk about um the branding of the site and how we want to move forward, and it's something that's a, of great concern. Again, I got that from Colgate Palmolive. You know, I learned a lot about um, uh, branding and the importance of being very careful in what you do and how you show yourself to the public. And so we actually have quite a few conversations about what some people would think are very minor details. But um, um, I know, and uh, Alex Christophora, he's the one that designed the site, which I think is brilliant. I love how he uses pictures. Um, uh, um, he's good with headlines. Headlines are very, very important, as you know. And we refuse to steal other people's work, no scraping. And we say we will, we refuse to have any kind of uh, clickbait. Um, uh, I, I find that really just, um um, disgusting. Uh, I, I really hate when people do that. It, it, uh, I go to the internet for a reason, not to and not just to fool around. You talk. Um, you talked about conservative culture before, and uh, we're not talking about this. I well, I don't want to talk about in the political context. I'm talking about more in the cultural context. Yeah. And so, the average American, um, they've pumped up. And I want to get your comment because you've lived in Russia for a number of years, but you've had the the uh, the luxury of also living in America, so you can compare and contrast. America has inflated Vladimir Putin uh, to this one hundred foot monster um, <laughs> that is a hybrid between uh, you know Stalin and uh, Kim Jong Un and uh, Goldfinger. And so, how do Russians see Putin? Because I know they don't look at him like this strong man. They see him. Is is he a regular guy? Is he a straight talker? How how's the general gist of the view of Putin by the average, the, the sort of the average person in in Russia or Moscow? Okay, well, uh, minus Moscow, because Moscow has a lot of liberals, which I have. Um, uh, unfortunately, I just have no tolerance for them. They have nothing important to say. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, it's just a waste of time with them. Okay. Yeah. They, they they just see the West, the glittering light, you know the you know the 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 streets are paved with gold and there's you know honey and milk. Just, they have no idea what they're talking about. But um, 
uh, Russians see Putin as a straight shooter. Um, uh, he answers questions directly. Um, he has very few. Um, uh, uh, he doesn't use a teleprompter. Um, he, 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 he takes his own notes. I, I sat next to him for an hour and a half, and um, I, saw, I watched him field questions all during that entire time, and he had no notes in front of him. Uh, he would doodle a little bit um, listening to questions. I tried to, I, you know, and he had this, like, what we call in America a blue book, you know, for exams. It was like a blue book, and he had a pen. And when he stood up after he did the Q&A with us, I was sitting right next to him, and I was kind of angling over and kind of put my hand on the blue book and the pen and kind of move it towards me so I could get it as a souvenir. <laughs> nope. His security detail. Oh, yet, yet. And they took it right away from me. <laughs> but, um, um People feel safe with him. They feel confident with him. Um, they feel that he will protect Russia. And one of the things that mainstream media in the West do not understand, and it, it, it's so fundamental, it, it, it's laughable, is that all of the things that John McCain says or Lindsey Graham or Samantha Power, uh, they just translate it into Russian and they put it on the TV news with no commentary. No commentary. It's like Euro news. Yeah? They just Put it on and let the viewer decide what, how the West feels about Russia and about their president. You know, Vladimir Putin is going to run again in 2018 and he will be elected for the fourth time. Like Franklin Roosevelt was elected four times. Right. He, he is. Well, Vladimir Putin is a combination of uh, Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt and, and FDR all wrapped up into one. That's how they feel about him. And you know what? Your, your listeners should know one very important thing. Within the political spectrum in Russia, particularly in the power structures, Vladimir Putin is a moderate. He's a moderate. And I have told um, a Western detra- detra- detractors over and over again, you better wish he stays there for a while because there are some people in power close to him that I think you would find extremely uns- uh, uh, unsavory. But the West doesn't take any, doesn't do any homework, doesn't, um, you know, just go to the Kremlin website. It's Kremlin.ru, and you can read what the president said. I'm not going to go to the New York Times, and so they can parse it for me. No, because they always take everything out of context. Just read what he said. That's all I ask people to do. You know, take the time to do it. I don't see Western journalists ever do it. Oh, but I do know that when Putin has a press conference and RT carries it, all of the Western journalists watch RT because we give them a free translation. But they never credit <laughs> us, okay? Never credit us at all, okay? They never said, as um, uh, this reporter watched uh, RT. You know, they never have the decency even to do that because they're just lazy. And is, 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 so is, is the popularity or the, um, the timing of, of Vladimir Putin coming on the scene, is, is, it, is it very much a product of what happened in the 90s uh, during, during Russia? It, it doesn't. You know, Vladimir Putin is, is, is a, a, a great historical figure already, and he will go down in history. is um, great and maybe uh, certainly controversial for many uh, outside of Russia. But he was um, uh, a logical con- a consequence of what happened in the 1990s. It, it didn't necessarily have to be Vladimir Putin. It could have been another person, but that person would have taken on the mantle of politics that Putin has uh, uh, been driving in the, in the time he's been in high office. You know, I know a lot of people will find this really surprising, but Putin came in very liberal, very liberal. 
yeah. and actually adapted to the population. Russia is a very conservative place. Um, it, it, you know, when you come to Moscow, there's hardly any graffiti. There's hardly any littering. Um, it's a clean city. Russians are not the friendliest to each other, but they're, they, have, they, they treat each other in a civil way. Um, and, uh, and, as, and as far as, you know, um, uh, minorities, there's a lot of minorities there. And the most racist people in Russia are Russian liberals because they <laughs> adore the West. They adore the West. They want to be like the West, and they see these people from the South and from the East, and they don't like them here. You know, it's a myth. There is no such thing as a Russian nation. There is no such thing. There's a Russian culture, and there is a Russian civilization. But there's no nation here. And that's why when the these uh, skinheads try to import American-style racism against skin color, it doesn't really work with Russians, because these people have been living with us for hundreds and hundreds of years, and they were never um, uh, slaves, okay? They had status of one form or another in Russian, uh, uh, in Russian civilization. So, you know, when I see these skinheads, and there's some here, yes, and I just say it's so alien to Russian tradition, these people. There's no place in Russian history where you would find these people. This is a Western import. And, and here we have the Russian liberals just adore everything from the West. And I say, you, you take in their racism, you take in their postmodernist agenda, you know, you're polluting this country. This country doesn't want it. And I've made it very clear, if that's what you want to do in Germany, and that's what you want to do in the United States, that's your business. But please, don't bring it here. Well, it's interesting you brought that up because if you travel and you've traveled as well to many cities um, around the world, you have this kind of that's common with if you're in Paris, there's the bourgeois, uh, upwardly mobile, globalist, acolyte enclave. And they 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 hate France and uh, they, they cast their gaze on New York City. They'd rather be in Brooklyn. Then you have the Brooklyn bourgeois class who love, you know, escaping to uh, Paris uh, for for romantic uh, holidays and for culture. Then you have the the London uh, bourgeois class that uh, spends its time in Chamonix on the slopes, uh, and they don't like you know. Oh, I, I don't want to spend my time in London. I've spent all my time. So everywhere around the world, you have this kind of ubiquitous bourgeois um, globalist culture that is always projecting outside of wherever they are. You know, and it's it's, it's a pattern you see all over the world. But it's what's really interesting to me is that you have the um, the culmination of secularism in the West um, and, and this political correctness and postmodernism. There's no gender anymore. Uh, there's no age limits anymore. Um, uh, being men being effeminate is almost now expected. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, and then in Russia, because of what happened during the Soviet Union and because how the Soviet Union collapsed in the 1990s, you have the exact mirror opposite happening in Russia. The, the, the church is flourishing. Other religions are very much, um, uh, they're, they're given equal protection, though the Orthodox Church is first among equals, and that's understood. And um, you have people um, uh, going back to traditional values and thinking about traditional values. And it's really interesting to me, in the, almost the 20 years that I've lived here, I, I came to Moscow, and the, the Moscovites said this, uh, would say, this is the worst city in the world, and this is the worst country in the world, okay, because of what happened during the 1990s at the behest of the West. Um, and now there's something, a, a very, uh, there's a civic pride, 
Um, Moscovites love their city. It's a very beautiful city. It's been completely modernized since I've been living here. Um, and and I, I, I love walking the streets. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a cultural treat because I am trained as a historian and I, I understand the history that I see around me. Um, and, and this is one of the reasons why the West cannot understand Russia and why most Russians, minus you know, pockets in St. Petersburg and in Moscow, um, are now more and more wary of the West. Um, the West blew it, okay? Because as I told George, uh, Ed Lucas over at the, the Economist, you know, just keep writing it, Ed. Just keep writing what you're writing because it's instantly translated into Russian, and the people that you're trying to appeal to read what you say about how primitive their country is, okay, and how backward and wrong, and there's a dictator and all that. People read it, and they just say, how, why are they writing this about my country? You know, they go after everything. You know, they blame us for Ukraine. Now they don't let our uh, our, uh, our Olympic um, athletes uh, participate. I mean, you, you give us no solid evidence whatsoever that was doping, and you ban an entire team? I mean, they, 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 see, this, is, this has caused outrage in Russia, and it's punishing whom? Punishing Putin, punishing the elites? No, it doesn't. It has the exact opposite effect. That only Putin can defend our interests. They don't. They see the people that write about Russia don't know Russia. The the, the great Russia um, specialists that um, they retired in 1991. There was no use for them. The Soviet Union was gone. Russian studies was completely gutted in the United States. Only a few universities would teach Russian. Before that, they were all over the place. And then you have this uh, Ukraine studies uh, place in, a, a, at Harvard that is just, you know, it, it's just a, a, a CIA uh, outfit, you know, that promoting uh, virulent uh, Ukrainian nationalism and, and um, racism against Russians. They're, they're funded pl- plenty. So when these people, when I read these articles, uh, uh, about Russia, I, I'm always kind of at a loss. I mean, why are you writing about Russia? It, it, it's, it's like this. Let's say um, uh, uh, somebody called me uh, from London and said, Peter, can, can you discuss what's going on in the, in the, in the elections in um, uh, Bolivia right now? And I would say, I'm sorry, I don't know anything about Bolivia. I mean, I, I can, I'm a quick study, but I don't have anything valuable to say. Or uh, about New Zealand. I don't know anything about New Zealand politics. But you know what? Everybody seems to be an expert on Russia. Everybody yeah. that opens their mouth is an expert on Russia. You know, when I look at the academic journals um, and, then, and then what was or, or called upmarket um, uh, uh, journalists, you know, you know, I've never heard of them. You know, I, I was in Russian studies and Soviet studies. I know who was who then. And they're all gone. Michael McFowell, he's not a Russia expert. He's a he's a human rights NGO export democracy guy. Okay, I mean he's a complete fraud and, and functionary. I mean he, he gets money at Stanford to peddle this nonsense. Okay, it is nonsense, but it is the ideology of the deep state. You know the Trilateral Commission. They gave up on democracy a long time ago. They just wanted to save capitalism. They gave up on democracy because they knew what could happen to it. And you know what? At least you got to tip your hat to that. You know they understood it. Yeah, yeah, they did give up. Well, our, our, our the only Russian expert on CNN apparently is Gary Kasparov, so uh, we won't get started on him. <laughs> but oh, um, I, I, you know, I, I am. Uh, I called him uh, when he was still living in Russia, and I asked him to do an interview, and he, he just gave me the four letter word. Okay, and, <laughs> and, you know that's that's how that, that's exactly what these people are. You know, you know Navalny. You know this guy that is considered you know the the hope of the Ru- Russian liberals. He is. Um, a, a fraud. He's a fraudster. 
he, he's an r- open racist. He's got his YouTube uh, 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 films up on, and you can you can see it. You know, he called. I I I don't I, don't hold me to it. I mean, I'm just going to paraphrase here, but I I I think he just called them um, uh, people from the Caucasus cockroaches. Okay, and he's well, the he's the great hope of of Washington. Well, pussy riot. Who pays for their plane tickets? Who pay, who pays for their appearances? Who's paying them? You know, they, we never know that. They're not even a band. They've never produced any music. You know, I mean, again, this is another State Department operation. It's another State Department soft power operation. And and they made it all the way on to House of Cards. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, they're at George Soros's son's uh, big party in the Hamptons. I saw them in one of the magazines uh, posing for photos with all these, uh, the great and the good of New York. What was interesting about that, and we've got a couple minutes left, but, you know, back to this conservative thing, you know, people have to appreciate that some countries in the world, many countries are very conservative while others are so-called, you know, open and liberal on the progressive agenda, more advanced. But for Pussy Riot to go into a cathedral, an Orthodox church, uh, maybe a say, uh, one of the main cathedrals in Russia, and to do what to do what they did, if they did that in Washington at the National Cathedral, they would be thrown in jail um, in America. So, but our media is portraying this as Russia clamping down on free speech. To me, it's it, it's uh, it's beyond analysis almost. And, how- and if anyone ever calls you on that, you can tell, and I can, and I know this for a fact. That the video that they show dancing on um, in the, in the cathedral, the soundtrack was put on afterwards. It yeah. wasn't when they did it, so it's not a free speech issue whatsoever. Okay, because they weren't expressing speech when they were doing that despicable act. I'll tell you, people were so insulted here. But this goes right back to what I was saying earlier. This is this liberal progressive element. That is, is, they call themselves the beacon of freedom, but actually they are turning into, uh, uh, they're turning into this tool of, de- of denying any form of dissent. Okay, now you can call that what you want. We can call it authoritarian, totalitarian, fascistic. It, it doesn't really matter. You know where I'm going here. And this is the difference here. When you living in Moscow, you can say whatever you damn well please about politics in public as loud as you want. Okay, and no one is going to give a hoot. All right. You can walk up and down the main streets of Moscow and say Putin must go and no one's going to touch you. A few people will take a picture and put you on social media, but no one is going to care. The police don't care. All right. There, you know, I, 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 the, the, the Internet in Russia is remarkably free. Russia has very, very specific laws about uh, uh, inciting violence and, and, and racial discord. Okay, it's very fanatical about that. If you go on the website and you start saying uh, bad things about the people in Caucasus that they should be put in, in gas chambers, they're going to take you off, and they should. Okay, that's not adding to the debate. Okay, that's not freedom of speech. That's abuse of speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's this idea that uh, the rest of the world has to comply with. Uh, exactly. You know, exactly. whatever, wherever America is on the cultural meter at any point in time, the politically correct uh, meter, the world must be in lockstep with that as the sort of the, the, the gold standard of progress. It's the mentality of empire. Every empire is felt that the same about itself, okay, that the rest of the world must follow. But, you know, Patrick, you know, when the American empire finally comes to an end, the last people to know about it will be the American people because of the media. 
no, yeah, definitely, yeah. They'll be uh, they'll be whining and dining like Nero when Rome was uh, going up in flames. Uh, It'll always be somebody else's fault, too. But they were, Peter, they were. The New York Times, I heard there were popping, uh, some people were popping champagne in the office before the election results came in. So I guess it's true after all. Well, I I mean, I I was uh, very pleased because of the time difference. Um, I I got up around 6 o'clock in the morning because I knew I had to do crosstalk at 10 in the morning. I I usually do it in the evening on on the the day after the election. And I went to bed. I told the guys at the Duran, they said, you know, what do you think, Peter? And I said, well, uh, Hail Mary and Brexit. And I went to bed. And um, when I got up in the morning, I turned on CNN and I was watching Wolf Blitzer. It was worth it getting up that early. (laughs) (laughs) The look on their face. Yeah. Uh, I mean, here's a guy that always kind of looks a a bit peaked, you know, but this guy was sheet white, you know, and it looked like he needed some pampers because he was in trouble. And, you know, and I I knew that a new era might, might, might start. And uh, we went on and did a, a recording of Crosstalk 15 minutes after AP called it. And we got a. We did really well on YouTube on it. I was very, very happy. And um, we're going we're to have a short film about uh, me and my 1000th edition of Crosstalk. And it has me after the recording with my guest. And we all put up our arms in victory. <laughs> They're going to put that in the clip. Okay. I lost a lot of friends on Facebook because of this. Okay. But I'm, I'm determined. Okay. Like you are. Well, you you want you want to see an improvement of uh, U.S. Russian relations, like many people. So, you know, it, it, we got about one minute left. You know, what you, are you feeling positive? Um, do you think that it can only it can only improve? Has it already hit rock bottom, or can it get worse? Oh, it can always get worse. Unfortunately, uh, with these people, um, uh, you know, look at the, what Obama did with U.S. Russian relations with these neocons. Um, I have my wish list is this, and I'm very minimalist in my approach. I want to step back from the brink. I want to lower the tone. I want to lower the rhetoric, and I want to have a little bit more communication. Well, the, the, the two countries will not be friends when you have McCain and Lindsey Graham, and you have all these other people. The the foreign policy uh, blob, uh, and that's how Obama called it. Um, they're they're going to fight him tooth and nail. This will be a litmus test. Uh, three things syria ukraine and russia will be a litmus test if donald trump is running his own show um because we don't we all know he doesn't have the republican party backing him so this is going to be coming out of the white house we're, we're going to see we're going to see his medal we're going to see if he can do any of this okay he's, he's very good with rhetoric let's see if he can uh, um, uh, follow through on it and and i would be happy just having uh, a less uh, contentious relationship, and I think that would be a positive. And and maybe I can, I'll be disappointed; it'll be better. But I don't have a whole lot of hope. The foreign policy blob is too strong. Well, I think the the rest of the seven billion people out on the planet outside of Washington want to see uh, a great and good positive relations between the U.S. and Russia. Uh, and so, I, I don't think they have the numbers on their side. I think the uh, the positive uh, people have the numbers on their side. So let's hope that uh, it bears out that way, Peter. But. Yep. Uh, but thank you so much for your time and uh, for all the great work that you do. And uh, we uh, we gave a shout out as well to the Duran.com. You want to check thank that you. website out um, and also Crosstalk. And when is this? Uh, you got a, the 100 special coming out? The uh, It comes out next week. I don't know exactly the, the date. Oh, yeah. I don't know how special it will be. Um, but we're going to have a, a, a special promo and we're going to have something even longer that we're going to be able to put on YouTube. It'll, I'm putting up all my bloopers. Well, people have a good laugh with it. You know, you have to don't take yourself so seriously okay and then if you don't take yourself too seriously people might take you seriously that's how i look at it 
And, and, and last thing, I'll congratulate you for basically knocking off the financier Jimmy Rogers off of yeah. his style podium for making the bow tie fashionable again. Peter, <laughs> yeah. P- Peter Lavelle, you've done it. You need to come out with your own range now of bow ties <laughs> and start monetizing that trend. Well, we when he, Jim Rogers was on, I, I called it the the double bow tie edition. Okay, I mean he's a one. <laughs> I really love him. He's a wonderful person. To, I mean, somebody so rich and to be so normal and down to earth, it's really refreshing. Yeah, yeah, he's great. But uh, thanks very much. Take care and uh, good luck to you and your team. And uh, we'll see you around uh, in the uh, near future. Have a great Christmas as well. Uh, and uh, our listeners uh, love your work. So take care. Okay, you too. Thanks. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That's Peter Lavelle, host of RT's Crosstalk. Uh, great discussion. If you missed any of that, uh, that will be available after the show in the archive. You can go check it out. Uh, we're going to take a short commercial break, and we're going to go to the Middle East live on the ground uh, to our reporter, Vanessa Bealey. We'll be right back after these messages. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Stay right there. Since 2009, 21st Century Wire has been a trusted source of alternative news with opinion, analysis, investigative reports, and features covering stories from North America to Europe to the Middle East and globally. In the last two years, we've grown dramatically. This year, we're expanding our programming and our reporting and adding to our team of dedicated contributors. But we need your help. There is a way you can support us. Go to 21wire.tv and click on 21wire membership to find out more about how you can help support our platform by subscribing and becoming a member. In return, we promise to keep it independent and keep it real. But that's not all. By subscribing to 21wire.tv, members will get access to more premium content like virtual private screenings of new documentaries and short films and get inside access to members' podcasts like On the QT with Patrick Henningsen. And also, you can see our new morning commute show, Drive by Wire with Sean Helton, as well as our new geopolitical current affairs series, Insight, shot in high definition. By becoming a member, you're also helping to support the Sunday Wire radio show, as well as all our great reporting at 21stCenturyWire.com. There's more. Members will also gain access to our fortnightly Members Situation Report newsletter, as well as special discounts on all 21 Wire merchandise up at our online store, Shop 21. Subscribe and become a member at 21wire.tv.